out of Austin, Texas. You're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Good afternoon. Welcome to another edition of the Unsanctioned Citizen. We're trying to keep you clear and unfettered from un- unneeded turmoil and people trying to cut you off and make sure that you don't get your get your money or your life. So, but they're busy telling you, hey, your money or your life. So, um, which is no joke. I'm going to go here and I'm going to invite other people. And there's a lot of people online today. Hopefully we'll get some stop in, stop over for the show. Um, so I have some news today. I was on another program this morning and there is a, there are a lot of, there's a, big civil unrest in Russia, apparently. So, Greg um, over at oh my gosh, at the at the Slav program that was uh, I wish I could remember the name of it. I, I wish he could, would come back on. But he had a great program. It's here on the Colin Network. I'm going to go and look at the calendar and see if I could find him. Yeah, it's the Slava Ukraini program, and he did really great. Uh, they're burning down draft offices in Russia, so there's massive unrest. There was there were peaceful protests, but people who actually don't want to go to war are in heavy, heavy tumult. So the police are dragging anti-war protesters, and some of the things that are being done to them are really horrific. Um, humiliation. Uh, kind of hostage tapes by by the Russian police, Russian federal police, and also very bad things that are happening to anti-war protesters. Um, <clears throat> so it's it's an ugly scene in Russia, to which I kind of followed up and I asked. Um, it's still a repressive state, so it's really weird that Edward Snowden's there, and this is an atmosphere of absolute total conscription for anyone who's Russian. So that means if it's true that Edward Snowden was kind of given an unwanted citizenship, an unsolicited citizenship for Russian citizenship, um, then he could be conscripted to fight in the Ukraine conflict, which he's not really speaking about, but that would be really super tense for him. Uh, and if it gives you any kind of frame of what the tension would be like on this issue, um, I saw a piece with John Oliver having a uh, an interview with Seth Meyers, and he kind of absconded away, kind of got away to, to Russia, um, possibly on HBO's budget. Um, and he was talking about how tense it was just talking to him about you know, anything that was going on with, with the Ukraine war. You couldn't even mention it. It was like Voldemort. You couldn't even say it out loud without the minders being all over you. If you said anything, positive, negative, you know, they were just like, ah! super tense about anything having to do with any uh, westernized, westernized interest or the war. The, the, the Russian minders were all over 
their news team. So, so I don't know how much real news, but that's the atmosphere over there. It's really conflicted. It's super repressive, intense, and awful, and deadly. <laughs> so it's not going to get any better. Um, you know, please pray for those people. Please pray for peace if you pray. Um, and, you know, in great hope that, that things will get better and that there will be a relaxing of all of this conflict and eventually that we'll, we'll just kind of separate from the idea that we really need to, to be in conflict over there and end the proxy war and end it all together because I, I am not really getting anything out of this. Um, you know, I'm not. But if there is a, a foreign interest that I'd like to do protection for, um, so you can help protect Tibet's children. So there is a campaign. They're trying to reach a 5,000-pound goal to help protect um, Tibet's children. Uh, under the cover of the information blackout in Tibet, the Chinese Communist Party has constructed a massive colonial boarding school system. Tibet's children from as young as four years old are deliberately subjected to the Chinese authority. Political indoctrination aimed at erasing their very identity with huge negative consequences for the future of my country, Tibet, which is penned by Tezin Kunga. He's an advocacy officer from from Tibet. So uh, there is a campaign uh, ongoing there at freetibet.org. And you can donate any any amount of money would be really great to help Tibet's children escape cultural genocide today. That can be done. That's something you can do. Something totally doable. All right, now on to the other ugly stuff. And there's some ugly stuff. So we have covered a lot of content on digital ID, CBDCs, which are the centralized digital bank currencies that are coming out soon if we don't get in there and say I don't really want this and this isn't really what I need to do right now and you know there's a lot of people who want to weigh in and say yes 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 and then there's a fair amount of people who are like no I'm really opposed to this but I don't know how to say how well I just want you to know that the Federal Federal Reserve has closed their comment uh, period but um, the House Committee on Financial Services is still taking comment um, if you have something to say, you know, about how to control the outcomes of CBDCs, like, so that they don't harm you. Like, a CBDC doesn't seem very harmful. I mean, it would just be a national currency exchange on the digital market, which seems, you know, it seems innocuous, seems okay. But if it becomes a requirement, Acquired currency at all orifices, and you can't get around it without using a digital ID, or you need a digital ID to use it, and then the whole of it becomes a mandate in case there's another pandemic. Um, I don't, I don't think that's a good outcome. That's not a positive outcome for freedom and a civil society. Uh, so, <laughs> I wanted to share this with you. So the digital Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has committed 200 million to digital ID and other public infrastructure. So he'll pay for it. He'll give you the seed money 
United States of America. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has renewed its commitment to digital ID, topping up its investment in the space as part of a total package of $1.27 billion in support for global health and development projects. The latest funding commitment includes $200 million for digital public infrastructure, which includes digital ID and civil registry databases. The announcement accompanies the 6th Annual Goalkeepers Report, which assesses progress towards the UN Sustainable Development Goals and acknowledges that by most indicators, the world is well behind the pace needed to achieve them by 2030. Oh, so sorry. Why don't I run that piece again about the UN identity? I just, I just want you to know what it, it sounds like when the UN gets their digital ID. This is what your life is going to look like. This is what it's like for the people who are going to work there. Digital transformation is changing the way we manage our data, our information, our interactions, and our identities online. The United Nations is ready to digitally transform how it deals with identity, with a system to streamline information sharing, daily workflows, access to platforms and buildings, operating across agencies, by providing its personnel with a universal, system-wide identity solution. Introducing the UN Digital ID, a unique and digital identity for UN personnel from the day you join to the day you part. All of your personal, HR, medical, travel, security, payroll and pension data in the palm of your hand, giving you full control on what you share and with whom. With blockchain and biometrics, the UN Digital ID makes verification efficient, secure, transparent, immutable, portable and universal. It's been piloted by different agencies and the UN Pension Fund, where they've replaced current manual processes with certainty for who and where pension recipients say they are at any given time. Imagine a regional field office has just joined the UN. She uses the mobile app to obtain a digital wallet, stored securely in her smartphone and only accessible to her with biometrics. Even better than a physical wallet, she can store all her credentials issued by any UN organisation in her digital wallet. She has immediate access to course certificates, travel clearances from UNDSS, medical records from allergies to vaccinations, also making any transfer to another organization a breeze. As innovation transforms the world, we can improve the way we manage our identities online. UN Digital IDs, a building block for digital cooperation, unlocking the promise of the SDGs. SDGs. Now, we did cover what SDGs are in the last reading um, and SDGs are, are kind of a sneaky snake when it comes to the Great Reset it's a super tool to kind of like go get around the edges it's more parallel construction so please be advised um, it's it's not a good idea um, so if you're out there please please uh, send this out to your friends just let people know that we're here at the unsanctioned citizen. Uh, it seems like a dull concept, but the work from home data brokerages, it just is what it is. All right, so a UN SDG uh, 16.9 sets the goals of, of universal legal identity by 2030, including birth registration. Efforts to meet that goal have been tied to digital identity programs around the world in large part due to the obvious impracticality of registering a billion people without ID to legacy analog systems and the limited value of any su such system. The 200 million is also earmarked 
earmarked to support interoperable payment systems and data sharing systems according to the announcement. So that's CBDC, guys. Um, the Gates Foundation is a major backer of the MOSIP open source digital identity platform. I make special note of that. Um, among various programs related to digital ID, and this is actually a case note from Biometric Update. So they want your body. 2019 edition of Goalkeeper's Data Report identified biometrics as one of the three technology pillars to support equitable resource distribution in developing nations. This whole thing stinks to high, high heaven. And uh, I'll just leave it there. So um, I also have one other news item to share with you is that the the FBI actually lied to a judge to get into 1,400 Beverly Hills safety deposit boxes. When has the FBI ever had to lie? You know, and they they did it for the asset forfeiture. They took 86 million in asset forfeiture properties after lying to a judge. This actually happened. The FBI was able to crack open more than 1,400 safe deposit boxes in Beverly Hills, California, taking more than 86 million in personal possessions from hundreds of people in 2021. Now a lawsuit alleging the FBI deceived the judge who signed off on the warrant for their controversial raid. In March of 2021, there was a raid. FBI agents went through various safe deposit boxes at the private U.S. private vaults in Beverly Hills. The federal agency has continued to hold on to, like they still have in their possession, seized items which they claimed were tied to unspecified crimes. Unspecified crimes, which means they did not have a, a legal valid warrant to take their stuff. The Institute for Justice has since filed a lawsuit on behalf of several of the box holders demanding their return. In May 27th of 2021, uh, the Institute for Justice said the FBI raid was meant to target U.S. private vaults, accusing the business of money laundering and other crimes, but rather than only taking the company's business property, it used for civil for it used the civil forfeiture rules to keep the possessions stored at the business by its customers. Hmm. But I guess they couldn't have access to them because they were under investigation by the FBI. I'm, I'm not really sure. Federal civil forfeiture is a process by which law enforcement officers may seize assets that represent the proceeds of a crime that were used to facilitate the crime. But this was unspecified crimes, so it's no longer enforceable. So according to the LA Times, the criminal case against the U.S. private vaults has already come to an end with no prison sentences for the business's operators. The safe deposit box company did have to pay $1.1 million fine for laundering drug money, but the prosecutors eventually agreed that the company couldn't feasibly pay the fine. So while the criminal case against the vaults fell through, the items they seized from the vaults businesses' customers remain in federal custody. When the FBI applied for the seizure warrant in March 2021, the affidavit did not allege that the customers had done anything wrong. And both the FBI and the United States Attorney's Office swore that the agents would merely inventory box renters' property. And obviously that did not happen. So we'll, we'll follow up on this. But this is, this is terrible. This is a terrible overreach. 
against private property conducted by sloppy FBI process during a, an increasingly kleptocratic administration that wants to turn everybody in for something and then take their stuff. <laughs> You're a criminal! Get their stuff. Um, so, okay. We're 16 minutes in. I gotta get, get around to the work from home stuff. So the work from home data brokerages, just so you know, um, there was a news item out this week about virtual workers. And a lot of those virtual workers are data processors who touch sensitive personal information. So here, here's the gist. Some virtual workers are moving abroad without telling their broads. They're moving abroad, meaning, oh, these are people who work for, say, like your Amazons, your Microsofts, or you know, people who work in tech, and they're going to go, they're going to go back to India for a few years, you know, and nobody missed them during COVID because everybody was working from home. So some virtual workers are moving abroad without telling their boss or coworkers, and they're taking elaborate measures to not get caught. So some virtual workers are moving to another country without telling their bosses or coworkers. They're taking elaborate measures to conceal their locations. According to Vice and Fortune, one virtual worker who's secretly moving to Mexico told Insider it's worth the risk of being fired. Some employees are working virtually from places like Europe or Bali without telling their managers or coworkers. According to recent reports from Vice and Fortune magazine, they're taking more elaborate measures to make sure no one finds out. One work from home employee told Vice he bought a plane ticket as proof he was returning to the U.S. from Europe, where he temporarily located during the pandemic. Immediately after sending a photo of the ticket to his boss, he canceled the flight. In order to justify his inability to come to in-person work events, he told co-workers he had moved to a different state, the report says. Then he created an intricate VPN and router system to conceal his computer's location, according to the outlet. Secretly moving abroad is an extreme example of employees defying orders to return to the office as corporations struggle to lure workers back to their cubicles and meeting rooms in the name of collaboration and co company culture. Okay, so there's, there's, this is part of it. And it's been enabled by the COVID, COVID culture, but it's worth opening up that box and talking about it because we're developing NPRM, which is the privacy rules for private property. So I finished my FTC um, public input today and published it and sent it out to, to all the leadership, all the relevant immediate leadership at the FTC and others. And so with the requirements of digital ID being central to this, you know, green this and, you know, public health that, and, you know, let's, let's at least get relevant security and privacy nailed down as standards and as enforcement measures and means before we go whole hog into a money transit system. I mean, it's been going that direction and people have been using it, but they've been using it again, 10 miles high above the American consumer without regarding their property. And until the SEC gets involved and, and really hammers down those rules, I don't think um, 
monetary policy should be the chief it shouldn't take center stage. I mean, people are talking about it. Doesn't mean that that's consent to govern. You know, just because Bill Gates wants to throw his money at it and help the government doesn't mean it should take center stage. It means that they want what they want. And <clears throat> so the people, who are these people? Who are these data processors? Well, you know, they get they get spreadsheets of confused and muddled data and they're they're supposed to you know, like clean it up and you know, get it into the proper columns, and it does take time. Um, I did, I took a course on, on data journalism, and one of the hard tasks I had to do was I actually had to get the junk data out and get the garbage, garbage data that had no meaning or no, no insights kind of cleaned out of the columns and to make, to make or arrive at, at insights, relevant data insights. And, um, you know, so it was a, it was a job, but I w- I'm thinking here, okay, uh, political information is, is similar. I've, I've had a whole, you know, huge data dump, you know, put file folder right there on my desk. It's people's addresses and their voting uh, proclivities, things that, you know, people typically don't get a look at. It's where people live, their zip codes, how many kids they have, you know, kind of intimate stuff. And, um, you know, politicos don't care about throwing those things around and, like, telling them who lives there and what kind of truck they have uh, just to get out their, their political preferences. When I saw that firsthand working in, uh, on a campaign in, um, in Aberdeen, actually, <laughs> or it, I, it, was, it was incredible. The, the workers were, were given these tablets you know, working on unencrypted wireless that was just spraying unsecured data all over the place in a highly digital, like digitally integrated place. Like these are where all the hackers come to go live. Like Black Hat is centered in, in Seattle when it's not in Las Vegas that one time of the year. The rest of the year, they're in the Pacific Northwest. So, so there's a lot of people who really know what they're doing with wireless networks and how to manipulate wireless data. They've got sniffers going on at all times. But, you know, people with tablets and unencrypted tablet connections are just kind of spraying data all over the place. And this is just spreadsheet data. And these are these are kids that get to go home with the tablets. They are responsible for them. You know, they're not vetted. They're not they're not, you know, given proper, like, they're not checking in their tablets at the end of the day. No, they get to hang on to things, and they can just scrape it and inspect data for people who may be their political rivals. And it was just laying around like like, like Easter eggs, like all over the place. So that's one example of what people do when they're not schooled on how to control or classify data. Give it any kind of gates or silos or any physical security quorum before they, you know, come to and from the situation. And that was one campaign. So the work from home people, the work from home data brokerages, well, you can just imagine they've got their, their kids and their dogs running all over the place, but they've got columns of data and they're probably just open on a laptop. They could have left it in a bus station. I've heard about that. That's somebody who's, you know, probably cleaning spreadsheets for, I don't know, $26 an hour. 
you know, they're they're an Indian Asian immigrant over here on license or, you know, by chain migration, try to get into business because they, they, they're trying to break in to the software engineering industry. And, you know, this is their first gig. You know, they're a contractor. So these contractors are dotted all over, you know, the valley. They're all over the, they're all over the place. And they could be anywhere. So when they go home, nobody's supervising them. There's no supervision. There's there's no cybersecurity supervision for them. You know, they can leave data open. They're, you know, maybe they're on a encrypted cloud connection, but the, the data cleaning that they're performing isn't necessarily, you know, a closed circuit. They're online all the time. They've got threaded connections happening at all times. And if it's their laptop, they may or may not, you know, have information security come in and, and work on that particular laptop, laptop because there was a blurred line between bring your own device. Some people didn't care, some people did. But the ones who did care and wanted to keep it off then, there was, there was no, there's no telling that they could just be licensing the data out and parsing it out, selling it, you know, to this guy or that guy. You know, there's supposed to be better security measures, but that's that's an operational security and an internal threat issue that has never really been dealt with. And let's talk about this, okay? Let's say that they outsource it. They outsource the data cleaning to a firm in Pakistan or um, their buddy in, in Iran or who... Or someplace in, you know, Djibouti or India, mostly India, probably Mumbai, you know, or one of those places, and they do their thing, and, um, you know, maybe it's not protected, maybe it's not so protected, and someone gets a hold of it, and they make money out of it, or they say, well, you know what, if you just... If you do this and you convert it, it will become money. I I owe you all of this money. I know you're. I'm stuck. You're stuck. Let's just make a deal. Let's do it this one time, and and uh, and, and I'll get ahead. You'll get ahead, and then someone's data gets out. So I mean, there's a million different vectors of threat around this scenario that have not been addressed because it's been couched as small business. But all of these small businesses are contractors working for Yahoo, Google, Facebook. You know, they're all in the ecosystem. And they're all threaded out there. They're temporary workers that have a certain level, but they're performing these these important data tasks or data architecture tasks and then they're gone. They're in the wind. So that is a huge security gap and even more so because you've got former Russian nationals that are here. Maybe they're Russian nationals that are here. Maybe they're, you know, former Eastern Bloc. They're getting, you know, yanked into any kind of surveillable situations because, you know, their cheese is touching Russia. You know, this is getting complicated. The national security 
threads are complicating this. You know, and I don't mean to sound like, oh, I guess I could take a call. Go ahead, Peter. Hello? Peter, you're on the air with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Can you hear me? I can. Tell us about hey, yourself. Sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, I actually look at the title of this episode. I'm very interested because uh, I actually, this is my daytime job. Uh, I run a show uh, on this uh, calling platform called uh, Judicial White Privilege. Uh, uh, it's more about the racial injustice in this country. And uh, But my day job actually is in exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I do believe what you're bringing up is a important issue. However, I can also tell that you need to, to do a whole lot more research uh, on not just the problem itself, uh, not just about the, uh, the depth of this, the problem, uh, the risk uh, to the general public, but also what the solution is. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, because uh, I, this, uh, what are you talking about? earlier about working from home, accessing sensitive information. That's exactly what I do. But uh, rest assured, I am based in the United States. I dealt with a very, very sensitive information. But I do believe this. My, uh, when people trust me to keep their secret, I will do so you know, to the maximum of my ability. And I don't disclose anything what I do. And uh, so, you know, I just want to add something there because uh, what you're talking about is really my day job. So I, yeah. I enjoy yeah, listening. Not, I, and to... and um, I, Peter, I've heard from heard you before on another show. I think it was uh, Glenn Greenwald's program with with Anthony Omin, the unredacted program. I think oh, I, wow. I think, you have a yeah. great memory. Yeah, I did call you once. I forgot. Well, I'm a big fan of Edward Snowden. Uh, uh, you can tell that I'm a big privacy advocate and uh, as a matter of fact you know the Dobbs decision is the biggest defeat on the privacy rights of half of the population that's an interesting and, take like can you explain to me why you think that uh, well one of my episodes will be because uh, I am doing five episodes about Dobbs decision the last one uh, is about that is basically uh, which I'm going to explain uh, that the U.S. Supreme Court back in the 72 in Ro original Roe v. Wade, they, uh, the majority then, are all uh, five of them are Republican-appointed uh, judges, justices. And uh, they, I'm pretty sure they're all Christians. Back then, they said abortion rights is, it, it, it should, should be allowed to women. Now, they say 50... They just kicked it to the states. And and a lot yeah, of yeah, correct. They How come now is exactly, exactly kicks the state right? Back then, it's uh, you know, again, this will be it's a one big uh, a, lot, a lot of work associated with that. But the privacy is one of the thing. Uh, mm. And I, I, as a matter of fact, I will uh, uh, if you are uh, if you're okay with it, I will send your invite to you uh, because I I would love to hear from women, especially when I'm going to talk about privacy. Uh, and uh, but one thing I'm different from you is this that uh, I'm a I'm an unapologetic Chinese American. 
And I believe in this country, Chinese has been、uh, discriminated for the longest time. And、uh, so I, I, I will, you know, I will, you know, definitely will rebut,、uh, provide my rebuttal of any, you know, in my opinion,、uh, unfounded accusation. Un- that, unfair,、uh, opinion, unfair statements, unfair statements yes, about, about、yes. um, different the, things. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we're unapologetically anti PRC and anti CCP. Yeah, correct. I'm okay, and, and that is that, that is、uh, that unapologetically like we don't believe that that this the Chinese state nation state needs to own any、correct. any any property near our our military bases. They don't need to necessarily own you know for the people farmland.、Yes. We don't need we don't need to have that. You know.、Uh, We wouldn't be allowed to do that. I would not be allowed to go to to Shanghai or、um, you know places in、uh, Xinjiang and and just go buy up land as an American.、Correct. You can't just go、yes. get a Chinese citizenship. You know, some of these people want here. I don't want to. I don't want to digress. But、uh, well, I mean, I'm、I、just saying, like, it's but, not. But there's no parity. There's no parity. I know.、There. I know. I know. I'm against the both government. I mean.、Uh, Distrust government is a, the American thing to do.、Uh, being against the government, criticizing the government is a patriotic. To, to, to be to be critical of the government is yeah is, absolutely、uh, is a protect、yes. should be a protected right of the, of the citizens. You know, we employ the government; they take our money,、yep. they represent、yep. our interest, and and if we can't、yep. like pull pull on them to do what、mm-hmm. we ask, or、yep. pull them down when they're they're behaving badly. As in, like th- this example of the FBI, where they they basically stole people's money. That's that's what they did. They stole、yes. people's money. I hear, the- no, I hear you. The civil、uh, civil forfeiture. But I just want to add、forfeiture. this: is that about the、uh, Chinese buying property of farmland? I actually recently in June did buy a lot of two acres farmland near the Dover Air Force Base. I'm from China. Should the FBI put a, a NSA surveillance on me.、Mm. <laughs> so, well, I mean, so, if it, like if you're saying theoretical, if you were theoretical, no, no, I, I have, have I have a property. I have a property about five miles from the Air, Dover Air Force Base. Dover Air. Okay, are you、yes. currently a Chinese national? I'm not. But you are not、I、a Chinese feel, national. Correct. Like, like just, you, just you are.、Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You are a a. a Chinese American citizen, yes. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. So, but I, but I, so, I want well, you to go back. So then it doesn't matter, okay? But you know, if for some reason, Theori- theoretically, if you're a Chinese American citizen, you're just an American citizen who owns property near an air force base. It's going to be really noisy for your crops. Yes. The、uh, yeah. Well, because that would get you know. It's going to be really noisy this, for your crops. This is the new. This is the new. Uh, 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 this is a piece of Wall Street news. Just two days or three days ago, forty percent of the Chinese American scientists teaching in the universities in this country are considering leaving America. I hope so. I mean, half of them are、uh, communist anyway. They they probably feel like they don't belong here. Yeah, I actually we're probably、uh, disappointing because, them greatly. No, actually, no. <laughs> I, what I find out is this: is that back in,、uh, again, I don't mean to.、Uh, I digress off the privacy because,、uh, I, like I said, I'm a big fan of Edward Snowden, and uh, and uh, 
and and all that. But、uh, I want to say it, it, this is why my show's purpose is to educate people is that America actually truly is a white majoritarian democracy. That、uh, if you are non-white, your rights and privileges is always under the threat of no other than the government. So in that sense, it's very similar to Xinjiang or Tibet. Or in those、uh, places, so but I want I want you to go back to your privacy talk because I will listen. Continue again. I think you are touching up a very good topic, but I can tell that you probably actually need a lot more research on the depths of the issue, and most importantly,、uh, actually a practical well, solution. Well, I, I think that. that you should offer your own solution. I, I do. I do. I do. As a matter of fact, I do. But、uh, that will be something else down the road, and、uh, I actually do because、uh, in this coming winter. I'm going to hire two interns to research a solution about、uh, absolute patient privacy protection. Absolute. By that I mean you can on, only the、uh, patient himself or herself can unlock that vault. So, but but because I got this idea from really from what、uh, Edward Snowden did because I'm a big fan of him. And、uh, so, but again, I appreciate you talking. I just keep on listening. I appreciate it. Oh, okay. Thank you, thank you, Peter, Peter for for calling in. Thank you,、um, Sheila. There, there's some there's some very creative solutions out there, but Peter is part of the diaspora. He's he's evidenced himself as as part of the diaspora, the private working class hacks of、uh, of the big corporations, security corporations, needing needing to get in there and 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 hire people to. To do their data cleaning and handling sensitive data, private health information. Yes. So,、um, but of course, you know, there's there's always room for improvement in security because they they will blow out thring, things through unencrypted wireless on old software, and.、Uh, You know, I guess they haven't gotten past that. They're still running things on Microsoft ninety ninety five, Microsoft Windows ninety five. Hello, Joshua. Hello, Blotty. Did you want to add anything to this, this uh, yes, conversation? Yes. 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 Okay. Well, wait a minute, lad. I'm up here well, okay, first. Okay. Well. Okay. Go ahead, Joshua. We're gonna. You said nothing, I, and then. Go ahead. No, I just—I、uh, I mean, I left the PizzaGate conversation with Pode- about, talking about Podesta to come over here, and then found Good. out that Podesta. Talk about information security. The Podesta. <laughs> let me get to it. The Podesta、okay. decided to start lobbying for Huawei in 2021. Oh so, no! Yeah, they just went over to the other、uh, imperialism God, place. That is、and、dark. I, I just, I mean, I, I just I, I don't know. Is it like are we competing to be the most imperialist? Like, who is the most imperialist? Like, they are all imperialists for oligarchs and kleptocrats. I mean, is that decided at this point?、Um, well, I mean, I, I appreciate coming either left or right.、Mm, I have some particular,、yeah. you know, zeal against the Huawei because they just seem to be squatting, you know, on our on our. You know, wireless infrastructure, well, well, and they had to be we, peeled off of us. Go ahead. We we have the enemy within for crying out loud. Forget Podesta.、Mm-hmm. That's only one.、Uh, t- talk about the hundreds, if not thousands, that are underground that are that are willing to give up our trade secrets to anything, to the Chinese or anybody, the highest bidder. 
for the right price. We have we have basically what's going on with the United States and this form of imperialism is that it, they're suffering the very same thing that the czars suffer just before their fall. They had the enemies as their servitude and servants within the castle. And what happened? They were they, they were taken in from the inside and then outside. So they had the enemy that was taking them inside and the very same enemy outside. So they, they took them out inside and out. It, it was an inside job. So we have all these bastards. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be Pelosi, it could be Biden, his son or the Clintons. It doesn't matter. All these bastards that sold out. We should have long ago, that's why I told you this, how important we, we needed a purge. We needed an American revolution, very similar to the to the French. I'm sorry to say it. I know you're not for that, but... No, I mean, I'm not the, for bloody revolution, but there are forms of of, of not bloody revolution that suck. But, but the, really... reason, the reason I aspire <laughs> for that is because once you send out the message that you're serious, people will stop their bullshit. They'll either move out and they know they can't do that, or they know their necks will roll, you know, their heads will roll. So, mm. I'm telling you, we have enemies within the government at all levels and they just want to take down you say you they want to be socialist marxist most of them are spineless all those marxist socialists i've just seen uh, nothing but emasculated men and women here that talk about oh revolution bullshit they won't do shit but what i'm telling you honestly you know is, what they're usually just displaced leftists that are they're bitching about their their wine clubs they're in wine clubs against one another they disenfranchise each other, and they're like, "I got kicked out exactly, of the other that's what wine club." They're, so they're, I'm going to come over here and about, you know, I'm going to be <laughs> anti-American and whine about America over here. Yeah, and so and then they're criticizing each other. They're criticizing because Bernie Sanders didn't win. They're criticizing now AOC and the squad. I mean, they're yeah. so hypocrites. They I don't, don't have know. Time We're for not that left. Shit, what man. the hell are you? We're not to the left. Then what are you? We're not Democrats. We're not left-wing progressive. Yeah, but they're still there voting for that same <laughs> shit. So that's what I'm saying. It's imploding within. And good. Let it implode. Let all this damn thing implode. It needs to implode. And what hopefully a resurrection. Buddy? Every time you come on here, you're like really agitated. You're like scrubbing the tub or making dinner. Like, I gotta, like, <laughs> not today, you baby. Call. Not today. <laughs> you right. shouldn't do like, coke like before coming on call-in. <laughs> Not yet, but anyway, the 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 whole thing. You're like is... taking out the garbage. You're like... <laughs> <laughs> I'll just scratch you my back for crying out. <laughs> oh my god! That's, right. Well, that's and I took a good shower, so I don't got issues. Oh I, my I, god! I, I more that. visual imagery. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least you're not. You're, at least you're not getting into the bath after the shower while you're on the. Program. No, no, no! You're, you're not going to hear that. That has that. happened. You won't hear me flushing the toilet. <laughs> Yo, yeah, that, but I'll tell you what, there have been less considerate listeners on this program. It's like, okay, I'm taking you with me to the bathroom. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> and, and another thing, you won't see me doing what Ali Alexander and his uh, cult does, follow people and do a flash mob on them. If they don't agree with you on something or you criticize them, what? 20, 30 people gang up on you like they ganged up on me on Saturday. And Andrew and, and Stoopy were taking them down left and right. But I was like, what the hell is this? Just because Rain yeah, there's, said something? There's some, there, I don't even know what it is. It's like, it's, um, t- t- I, I don't know what's going Free on. Like, like, well, I mean, I guess there's some, yeah. there's some speech. A lot of that, a lot of that. But, the, but like um, I told you, you, you have freedom of speech. But that that freedom of speech doesn't guarantee you the freedom to have the right uh, of an audience. So you're out of here, buddy. You know. So I, what if I you pay two hundred million or one point seven billion? 
then do you get? You know what? I just want to be interesting and attract people to my my qualified quality talk programming here. That's that's all I want to do. Hey, I like you your new Kardashian. <laughs> that's you know that all I want to do is provide an, an equal forum for people to come up here and speak about the issues. <laughs> exactly. But when when they, when they get nasty like that group, the cult, then that's when you tell them sorry. You got no oh, audience. Man, you, can, you can go blab anywhere you want. You know, but anyway, they, I, I, you know, I want to tell they you. Wanna be a, they want to be a one way street and. Mm-hmm. These are, you know, it's tough for me to be around certain conservatives when they get like that. Like, I like Pangburn because Pangburn is call and response, meaning like, you know, they'll get a conservative guy in there and then I'll, I'll be able to have an actual conversation. They they get transparently rigid about certain things, okay, certain concepts, but you're at least able to have a conversation. Now, when I get into a room with actual, like, traditionalist conservatives you know super animated catholic conservatives or just working class like politicos who actually just are paid by the republican party um you know on on strictly partisan ticket issues like like elections okay those people i don't want to spend a whole lot of free time with Yeah. They're really tough to deal with. They're like, do what I want or else. And it's like, do what I want or get out. And and Republicans, you know, I can't spend a lot. I don't spend a lot of free time with Republicans for that reason or hard, hard-nosed politicos for that reason. Because I'm kind of I'm kind of a freer person. Like, I want to have a discussion rather than a debate in a lot of cases. Like, I want to explore concepts and, and try to get people to receive information. Uh, that that that's kind of like my path to influence. It doesn't. It's not always effective on everybody, but it is effective a little bit. Um, sometimes I will just kind of, I will I will play tag with some of those people. Um, you're it. Okay, tell me your part. Okay, now I can tell my part. You know, maybe. You know. <laughs> Uh, but, so you, know, you I, equitably I, resource distribute your feedback and or your. I, I bargain, man. It's it's a it's a trade game. It's a game of trade. Like, okay, okay. Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you this this two minute. Here's two shells. What am I gonna get? Okay, I'm gonna take my two shells back. Bye. <laughs> have you have you seen Gattaca or Brazil the movies? Oh, I saw Gattaca, but I I, I kind of have been deliberately yeah. avoiding Brazil for some reason. I don't know why. I can't I can't figure out. I need to talk well because to it's kind of supposed to be a comedy, but it's probably really sad right now. But it's a dystopian it. like interruptive, you know. Yeah, it's how, it's how we go to cradle to grave serfs and slaves. That's what the IMF, the WTO, the WEF, and the Gates really are. And, and the Great so. Reset. Those great, great, great resets. Yeah, I, I. One thing, Vlad said it though. Like, I think they started too early. Like, they kind of went all in before they had all the chips they thought they had. Besides the money, they got all that. Um, but Where they did didn't Vladi go? I, I mean, I, he was here and then he just disappeared. Vladi uh, doesn't like me making good points. Oh well, maybe, maybe. Uh... Maybe maybe he'll come back. I'll just invite him back. We're gonna take a, we're gonna take William for a, a, a little bit. Go ahead. I'm not watching. Okay. So hey, William. You know, welcome back back to the program. Thanks for thanks for showing up. You know. I'm, Hi, I'm, Sheila. Hi, Joshua. I want to tell a quick story about my father's business 
and the building foreclosed on during the pandemic. 50-year bicycle shop. Okay, go, that, that sounds actually germane. That sounds germane. Go ahead. Okay. So the Spoken World Bike Shop was opened in 1970. My dad. And uh, he sold it the business to the fellow who worked for us for years. I, I just to give you a little background, I didn't want it. And the, the, the estate held the note when we sold Chris, the fellow I'm talking about the building. Okay. Now during the couple of years before the pandemic, he got behind on his taxes and his utilities. Okay. That's relevant because then he was not eligible for the cares act money. Okay. Now keep in mind, um, Small businesses like that have been struggling a long time, especially in Bridgeport, which is a, what's called a sacrifice zone. In other words, old military manufacturing town that's really struggling, right? And in addition, there's all kinds of reasons why every other bike shop, he was the only bike shop open in a city of 150,000. And if you include the surrounding uh, towns uh, between Trumbull, Monroe, Derby, you're looking at around 220,000. And so... Um, so Chris got behind and, uh, he couldn't get any CARES Act money. And so during a pandemic, he was foreclosed on the final nail in the coffin when there were supply chain issues and people, especially initially were afraid to go outside, you know, even, uh, you know what I mean? We didn't understand what was going on with this thing. And so, um, he basically was left. Now, to put things into context, two years before the pandemic, the building was assessed at 225000 And then during the uh, proceedings uh, in the courts, they, they appraised at 145000 80000 dropped in two years. The building did not, you know, get that run down in two years due to market forces, let's say. Do you know they foreclosed on it for 51400 no. Yeah, they stole the equity. And Chris had no recourse. I didn't have any money to help him because of my battles that you may have heard about. Uh, I described slightly. Yeah, and there are many. There are yeah, many. Yeah, so I was bankrupted by this situation and finally got my SSDI. I couldn't help Chris. My father had died. I was a main beneficiary. And what this did then was because Chris, I, state holding the note, was paying me eight, eight and nine a month. He owed another 35000 there went half of my income because when they foreclosed on it, he, he couldn't pay what he was owing the estate and I was beneficiary to follow me. So this is a cascade of just putting the boot uh, to the neck of someone who's disabled, business owner, uh, building owner, property owner, and then Chris eventually had a heart attack and died. That's tragic. So, yeah, it's totally so, so, tragic. So, so what happened then? Like, did it, did his estate, did he have an estate plan? Like, what happened? Well, I, the, the estate of the Bonatati estate, Richard Bonatati held the note. I was a main beneficiary. I couldn't jump in to help Chris uh, during the foreclosure. He hired an attorney. I think he paid 5000 Didn't change anything. He was foreclosed on. And basically, I mean, I, what was I going to do? Sue Chris? I mean, he already got ruined in the situation. You know, I couldn't do anything to help him. So it's just done. And uh, unfortunately, it wasn't long after that, he had a massive coronary. No, no, no previous heart condition or comorbidities. And the doctor said he was dead before he hit the ground because he never put his hands out. So, I mean, 
this is what's been ha- I mean this is one tragic real story and um well it's it's a very sad story I, I just I don't I don't know what to do about it oh there's no there's no there's solution nothing to do no there's nothing to do the, the point I'm trying to make is that I'm sure other people have maybe not I mean, as as layered but other people have lost businesses during this whole thing obviously oh, small yeah. businesses yes. and how deeply it affects families you know who are already uh, hurting for many reasons uh, and and it seems I don't know what else to say other it's so abusive was he, was he a data brokerage um, oh, oh. Oh, Chris owned the bicycle shop building, and he was running the business. I don't. What's data brokerage? Well, I mean, the subject of the show, William, is work from home data brokerages. Oh, I like saw. It. Yeah, I mean, you got to check the you got to check the label of the show. Maybe I I I figured you had something to to talk to, and and I, I figured maybe you did because it was work from, you know, he had a home based business and he had a business, and it was COVID. And so I was wondering, you know, if there was any kind of like, oh, I, see oh, the I had to, I had to process payments, or I had to I had to to uh, process, you know, healthcare information during the pandemic because there was nothing else to do. But you know, because of the pandemic, I had to do this in order to get by. And so I saw saw a lot of personal information. I mean, I'm just kind of puppeteering here, but <laughs> but I, I imagine people did do those things. I know one woman uh, processed insurance claims. She was a hairdresser. And so she processed people's insurance claims uh, to get through the pandemic. So that was another work from home. You know, I wouldn't call it a data brokerage, but that's somebody who was probably seeing some some sensitive personal information. Um, but you know, it was kind of like an on your honor kind of thing. I see. Yeah. I, I read the description, and I see that as the last word. I didn't understand uh, what you know. You're not wrong, though. I mean, I, I, I appreciate you coming into the program to, to, to tell us your story, William. And uh, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and take the next caller, though. Thanks, sure. thanks for calling in. Thank you for okay. taking the call. Bye now, Sheila. Bye. Hey, Peter, we got about maybe six minutes left in the, in the program before we wrap it. Yes, no problem. Yeah, sorry, I actually brought William in here because... Uh, uh, William is uh, very big on uh, uh, un- uh, disclo- uh, uncovering a lot of those uh, tragic uh, uh, sexual abuse of the minors. And, oh, right. Uh, so, yeah, long, I know he does. Sure, that. So I, I actually, William invited me to his room. And to- I told William that I want to go back to Sheila's room because she's talking about something is actually my profession. Yeah, uh, yeah. So th- that's why, you know, So and I apologize uh, that I, prop, I did not tell William uh, more specifically. No, no, no. You know, I mean, he's, I have... he can, he can, he's fine. He's fine. You know, yeah. he's, it, William has spoken in here, uh, you know, at least a couple times. And he's, yeah. he's welcome here yeah. anytime. Sometimes sure, he sure. talks want... about the mm-hmm. topic. Sometimes he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but, right. you know, he's, right. he's cool. Um, yeah. One thing I want to bring up is that uh, uh, the data privacy uh, is not necessarily linked to work from home. Uh, uh, I know. You know I, I know. And that's I, I that's been, one of the issues. I have been, <laughs> yeah, I've been in this business for uh, 27 years. Uh, I actually started uh, working from home since 2011, just about when the 4G LTE became available. So you can, you can imagine I had a very free life, uh, professional lifestyle. And uh, so, so, so there's a separation because, as a matter of fact, the privacy all by itself 
for the consumers is a huge issue. Whether there's a pandemic or not, whether it's a work from home or not, and uh, and you have a touch show before quite a number of uh, areas. So and the last have you listened to our show is, before? No, he. This no, is the first not. time he's ever not. been in here. But it's, it, I'm, I'm I being have a very busy professional life. I make a lot of money, and I do one podcast, and it takes a lot of my time to do that. But I do want to bring up uh, your attention, Sheila and uh, William. Uh, hope you're still listening. I actually back in 2015, I reached out to four Hollywood screenwriters to write a TV series called 800 American Girls. It's a true story based on a pediatrician, a, 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 a kid doctor, oh, who molested. Yes, who molested 850 young girls. Oh my God! This is a never told story. It happened in America. So I actually, that four screenwriters are all interested, and uh, I said this can be a four four part series because this guy lasted in 1994 until 2009. Oh my God, that's definitely a Netflix true crime. Thing. Yes, exactly. I actually talked to lawyers. I have a close friend who's a lawyer who said, "He's he's a Peter. Is this too gruesome? This a TV series?" I said. Yeah, probably. This is back in 2015. You know, I don't want to bring up gruesome stuff. Well, they've, so they've long story short, I know William is very passionate about this kind of topic, right. and I know Sheila, you are too. So I just want to, you know, be for well, you. Well, I mean, it, today. it's it's definitely in the in the league with some of the other topics that we've covered on the program. Oh no, yep. we lost Bloody. Ah! <laughs> so, so I just bring up, but uh, but again, the, uh, I uh, I think what you're talking about the data privacy is super important. And、yeah. uh, I'm pretty sure we'll have more opportunity in the future to. That's talk about awesome,、it. Peter. I, I'm actually very enriched by your conversation, and I'm really glad you you jumped up to tell us that.、Um, public health information, and particularly child health information, is extremely important, and、um, the regulatory environment is being improved at this moment.、Um, but there is a blockade in Congress, and people are playing sticks and carrots like. If you don't do what I want, I won't pass the privacy. You know, I'll turn、yeah. this car around and go back home.、Yeah. I'll do it. You, I'll you, do it. A lot of people, a lot of people used to hate me, okay? Because, I, like I said earlier in my first uh, uh, call earlier today, is that,、uh, that I believe Dobbs' decision already is a tremendous defeat on the privacy's rights, right? I said、uh, already. And, and for, uh, you're I, thinking I, women's I, 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 privacy, I, I, so and、right. I have had and then, my then, own thoughts on that. I had my own thoughts yeah, on that. Yeah, I know. Yes, I want to bring another one. It's actually, I believe, vaccine mandate is、yeah. also an invasion on, on、uh, people's privacy. Like, like I'm using myself as an example. If my employer in a healthcare organization have a vaccine mandate, but I work remotely, I never come into the office. Now, what's their rights to know whether I was vaccinated or not? If they ask me, well, you need to see your vaccine. I said it's not my private information. I'm not going to give it to you. So you know, that's a privacy rights too. You、mm-hmm. you sound、oh. you sound like a like a perfectly sane person who's like this isn't you're not entitled to this. This isn't necessary to execute the the, the performance of my job. Exactly. Bloody.、So、you, you can, I'm a.、Uh, go ahead.、Mm-hmm, go ahead. Well, go I mean,、uh, Bloody has a personal story. He had, I think, he was、uh, released. From service as a contractor because he would not get the shot. Bloody,、mm-hmm. would you like to to respond、mm-hmm. to Peter about a little bit about your experience before we get out of here? We have about a minute. 
Blotty, knock, knock. Are you there? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Sometimes these mics, like, are janky, though, Peter. Yes, I can't always, I, I can't get, always get people to, like, <laughs> this, this app is so buggy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely talk more because I know Sheila, you're a screen, uh, you're a screenwriter too, and uh, uh, at least you're a writer too, right? So, well, I, I, I do I was some like, writing. I'll do a podcast uh, of this uh, TV series. So I'm not gonna, but I, I would need the, you know. Oh, by the way, William, the the perpetrator, this is a doctor who molested the 800 over 800 uh, uh, girls, uh, is actually housed in Connecticut. Because I know you're from Connecticut. Oh boy, so, that's that's so, definitely so, bait. So, like that's I said, William, we'll, we'll you know we'll we'll connect in another day, and we can talk about it. Okay. okay. <laughs> Thank you again, Sheila. Great oh, you're welcome. You. Uh, we're we're really out of time, so you, it, you, you did Sheila, great. You did if great, I quit Joshua. your show, I'm going to quietly quit it. I'm going to quietly quit your show if I quit it. I won't Don't quietly it. quit. Make a big stomping like baby noise before you before you leave, and and a big flamey like. Don't don't quiet quit my show. Uh, Bloody, we gotta go, man. Do you have any parting shots before we get out of here? Bloody, the babysitter. Going once, going twice. Okay, it's been a great show. We'll talk to you guys next time, which will probably be tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access unsanctioned citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio Podcasts, and Call In. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.